advantage us. We have an advantage because the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have a living God that lives in us. Those of us who have been converted, who are born again, who have trusted Jesus Christ, who've placed their faith in Jesus. Whatever terminology you want to know, when you trusted Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life, and you repented of your sins, and you said, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, then the living God lives inside of you, called the Holy Spirit. We're okay talking about Jesus, and a lot of us are okay talking about the Father. Like, we understand, like, a father-son relationship. Like, I can go right away and go to my stepfather and me and go to my father and me, and that makes sense to me. Dad and my stepfather, Andy, Jim. I understand that relationship. Like, I can see a father and I can see a son. And I can go and see Father Jim and, and son Joshua, daughter Hannah, and son Isaiah. I can see father, son. I I get that. Then I can look in the Bible and I can see Jesus. I can read about him. I can read historical accounts, even extra biblical history that there was a man. I can wrap my mind around like body form Jesus and I can connect my mind around father God. That like, that makes sense to me as a human being. Yet somewhere Somehow, it's difficult for some of us to wrap our minds around a spirit called the Holy Spirit. And then throw in a King James Version that says, Holy Ghost. That, like, that goes down a whole other path. It's like, w- ghost, that's spooky and weird. And then wrap your mind maybe around sometimes uh, people who, who, who uh, just take... Sometimes Holy Spirit, and that's all they talk about, and sometimes they're classified, man, that's just weird. And so what the church has done, it's like, we're running from that. Let's get away from that. Ghost, weird, just snake handling, and what, this, let's, let's move beyond that. And yet, we don't even know what to do. It's like, and some of us will say, I got Jesus, isn't that enough? Why do I need the Holy Spirit? Yet the Bible is clear and evident that he's real. He's a part of the Trinity, the three in one, and when we accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and confess, he lives in us. So get over it. He's powerful. He lives in you. And, yet, and then the other problem we have is this. Like, we have been so messed up by like, things that we've seen in the past where there's been horror films and there's ghosts and talk about ghosts. And, or horror films that show these, these characters of ghosts. And then we've been, we've been somehow messed up by something like this. And then we throw this into the mix. Take a look at this. Now, I just, like, separate, like, 30 and under, like, what the world, Casper, the friendly ghost. And everyone, like, 35 and older, or my age, 50, like, Casper, baby, Casper. Somehow, that's how we see, like, the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's this ghost that can swim underwater. You know, and just, it can dance. and I want to take us on a journey today. And over the next weeks, so just unfolding, unpacking, and saying, we need to revisit the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We need to revisit this God who's real and lives in us. We need to, to be informed instead of running away from whatever that is from your past and wants to run away because he is God. He's the three in one and, and he rules and he wants to empower us. And, and when you see someone filled with the spirit, there's something different about that woman or that man. And so today we're going to go on a journey and let me just kind of set the groundwork today with trying to describe some of the roles and functions of the spirit and then over the next week, we're going to dig in and say, here's where he was evident. This is what happens, and this is what began to happen when people understood who the Holy Spirit was and how to tap into his power. Let me begin by saying this. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a he. And so if you, if you somehow like connect with, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. It No, the Bible says that it's a He's a he, it's the personal pronoun, and it's a masculine pronoun. He's a he, he is God. The Holy Spirit is referred to as God in Acts. He's the third in order of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He has emotion, he has personhood. In other words, he can be grieved, he feels emotion. The Holy Spirit is is intelligent, he learns, he searches things. And so he is able to continue to search. He, he has emotion like we do. He is a person and he is God and he is spirit. Grab your Bibles and we're going to unpack some of these thoughts and, and turn to the book of Genesis right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. We'd love to put one in your hand. Ushers will come by and give you a Bible to use today. Take your mobile devices and turn to Genesis chapter 1. And today I want to unpack the Old Testament, New Testament, and show you that the Holy Spirit has always been around. He is God. In fact, he was there from the beginning. So stand with me and let's read Genesis chapter 1. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1. First book of the Bible, right at the beginning, we see that the Holy Spirit is here and he has been here. Let's read Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2. Ready, read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Let's read that last phrase. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We have a seat. The first glimpse, the very first glimpse in Scripture is this picture of the Spirit hovering, hovering over the waters. When it, the earth was formed, was void and formless, and He was there before the foundation of the world. And it says that He's hovering over the waters. Right away at the beginning, we see from Genesis 1 to Revelation, we will see that the Holy Spirit has and always has been, and He is God. In fact, if you look at Genesis 1, 26, it said we are created in the image, and it's, it will show you all three. We are created in their image, and our image shows God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The first glimpse that we get is Him hovering. The word hover means to flutter. It means to hang around keeping a constant eye on things, just as a bird protects her brood. It's the picture of, of, a, of a bird, a mother bird, just hovering over the nest, making sure at the front and back 
and left and right is covered and protected. It hovers over their brood, over their their babies so that they are protected. Hovering also has a, a time and space element to it. Time is right before and right behind. Space is in front and in back. So the picture we get of of the Holy Spirit is he's there for us. He's looking out in front. He's looking behind. He's looking left. He's looking right. And he is in our space and time. He's able to see all. And he's ready to direct us in the path that we should go. And he wants to protect us to go in the right path. Now, even though he lives in us, we sometimes neglect his power. When Jesus left planet Earth, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when he appeared to many, when he walked on planet Earth, and he he ascended into heaven, prior to that, he told us through his word that he will leave the Holy Spirit behind as a comforter to care for us, empower us, and indwell us. So when Jesus left planet Earth, he left the Holy Spirit, came, and now lives in us and cares for us. I find great comfort in that, by the way, knowing that we have a God living in us, and he's after our best interests, and is deeply concerned about us, and he has been around before the foundation of the world. He has been here forever, and he will be here forever. He will never leave you behind. The Holy Spirit does not slumber or sleep. He doesn't take a day off. So right now, he's living in you. Do you feel that way, by the way? Like... Maybe some of you are on a road trip this week and you feel, you feel empowered by the Holy Spirit. You feel like, yeah, I feel like this extra dose of power that's living in me. You kind of feel like it right now. Did you wake up this morning and say, Holy Spirit lives in me. Do you feel different today? Do you, do, is, is there any difference between you and a person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit in them? Well, there should be. So the Holy Spirit protects us. And he comes, and he's been, and he will always be. He's hovering over your life. He's guarding your life. And for those of us who are Christ followers, he lives in us. He's the answer to our questions. He can prompt us. He can prod us. He can encourage us. He can provoke us. He can challenge us. And he speaks to us. Daily, he's speaking out to us. But daily, we're mostly not listening to him. He's the directional point for our lives. Go this way, go that way, respond this way, don't go there. Hey, you need to get right with God. Hey, you need to surrender. And so daily he's hovering and moving and guarding and guiding and teaching and instructing us. He also supernaturally empowers us. Turn to Judges chapter 13. Let's just lay some foundation, some of the things he can do. Turn to Judges chapter 13. And we'll see there what he's able to do for us. Judges chapter 13. In the Old Testament, we're going to look Old Testament, New Testament. Let's look how he empowered Samson's life. Look where the power came from. Judges chapter 13. And look at verse 25. We'll start with verse 24. It says, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the what of the Lord began to stir in him? The Spirit of the Lord. Holy Spirit was there in the Old Testament. And he began to stir in Samson. Now look at chapter 14 and verse 6. 
Watch how the Spirit begins to work in Samson. Verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord came what upon him? Powerfully upon him. So that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. I mean, when's the last time you went out and tore a lion apart with your bare hands? The Spirit of the Lord empowered him to do that. Now look at chapter 15 and verse 14. Continue to look in the Old Testament. Chapter 15 and verse 14. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came how upon him? What's it say? Powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. And the bindings dropped from his hands. There's this picture that when the Spirit moves, when the Spirit works in us, it's powerful. It does unusual things, supernatural power that only he can do and we can't do on our own. Look at chapter 16 and verse 20, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Then it says this, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. In other words, I'll do what the Spirit did before. But he did not know that the Lord or the Spirit had left him. And so he couldn't shake himself free. So there's this picture that the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowers us. Old Testament. How about New Testament? Turn to the book of Acts. Let's unpack this. The book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 1. The early church. Look in Acts chapter 1 in verse 7. Look what Jesus says in reference to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive what? When the what? Comes on who? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You, Grace Community, you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you will receive power to be my witnesses. That means you and I can walk into dark places where the enemy has trounced and where the enemy has been victorious. And we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit without fear because he empowers us. I'm beginning to see this picture Not only are we protected, but we can walk with power there. And he guards us. He hovers over us. I'm beginning to see this dangerous Christ follower. You feel that way this morning? Praise God. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit lives in me. There's this picture that we should have this supernatural minds, this supernatural passion, this supernatural power. Yet some of us could barely get out of bed this morning. It's like, boy, I don't feel like there's the Holy Spirit living in me. And why? And why is that? And we're going to look at that today. So he supernaturally empowers us. I would say it this way, and this is what we named the series Advantage Us. The Spirit gives you unfair advantage. There should be a distinct difference. And you've heard me say this, but is there? Is there really a difference in you as you walk out this life? 
Is there, will there be a difference tomorrow morning in the workplace at 6 a.m. or 4 a.m. or tonight at midnight when you go in than someone else who doesn't know Christ? Are you the brightest and the sharpest and the most alert on the line because the Holy Spirit is empowering you to do your work? He gives us an unfair advantage. There's this picture that there was this person who was a hollow form of themselves kind of waiting to be filled with the Spirit. There was a shell, and then there's this picture. The Spirit comes in when you're transformed, born again, and now you're empowered by this engine from within you that makes you go like you've never gone before. The Holy Spirit is an accelerator. The Holy Spirit ignites us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. It plugs us in to supernatural power. Now, we can see that in the physical in many ways. Like, if you're like me, like, I like to burn stuff and blow stuff up. There's probably like two other guys in here that like to do that. There's probably 400,000 guys in here that like to do that. And so it's not enough for me, like, in the fall of the year, like, I like, I like the fall of the year. And one of the reasons I like the fall of the year, we get to rake up our leaves and we get to pile them up. And then, and then we get to burn them. I love living in the country. We burn them. And it's fun. And it's fun adding accelerant to gasoline to it. It's just, there's like you add something to it. And when you add this to it, it's like, whoa, that was different than just a little bit of, of match and waiting and watching it smoke. I can recall a time when Ann and I were first married living on the east coast prior to coming to indiana and we had some large pine trees in our backyard and when i say 30 40 50 60 feet tall and some of the lower branches were hanging on it and they were dried up and dead and so i was taking the saw and trimming all these branches so i began to pile up these dead branches and the pile got to about 10 to 12 feet high and so every piece I would put on, I would grin, thinking, this is going to be a great fire. There it is, piling it up, piling it up. Yet I wanted to make it supernatural, powerful fire. So I went into my basement and had the back entrance and went in. There was some 89 octane, Sunoco 89, and I grabbed it and I took it out. And I considered for two seconds whether I should do it and did it anyhow. And I went out <laughs> and I took this five-gallon gas can filled to the brim, and I just walked around the base of these, these branches, and I walked around and worked my way to the top and thing. And with this big grin on my face, I could hardly wait to see what this excel. And so I made this line right back, took it right back to the house, with my back to the house, thinking all I have to do is light this, and then the accelerant, the superpower, this agent will blow it up. So I considered that for like two seconds, and then I said, I'm going to do it. So I took a match, and meanwhile, Ann was in the house, and Josh was in the home too, and trying to crawl around on the floor at six months old. And I, I lit this thing, and I was just like, you know, just, oh, I can't wait. I couldn't even say I can't. It was just, it hit the cellar, it hit the leaves, it shot the flames 60 feet into the air. The house lifted off the foundation, and Ann walks outside like, you saw this, she was in the kitchen, and all the glass was just, and I stood in the backyard, and I was, 
powerful explosion. Then I wondered, oh my, all these trees are going to burn down. But I was prepared. I had my one-inch garden hose. But there's something powerful about that. Listen to me, Grace. I believe it's all my heart. That same kind of power is available to those of us who call us Christ followers. It's there. He lives in us. Yet do you feel that powerful? Or do you tread lightly into enemy's territory, timid and afraid, and you, you pull away? I'm not going there because I don't know who I'm going to run into. Or I might have to get in the car with someone I don't know. Or do you walk boldly? into opposition because, you know, the, the Spirit protects. The Spirit, he, he, he empowers us boldly. Why would you settle for less when you know that's what we're capable of? Why would you settle for before Christ? We live, many of us, like we're not even saved. Like the Holy Spirit isn't alive and well and living in us. Why? Because we choose to. You see, when Jesus left the grave, he said these words before he was ascended into heaven. I will leave the Holy Spirit behind and he will empower you so that you can be my bold witnesses. You see, if we just ask the Spirit for help, we have an unfair advantage at our resources. There should be a distinct difference in the way we live. Think about this for a second. Have you ever considered, if you could consider, and even if a caterpillar could consider? Imagine a caterpillar if it could think. Imagine it spends months just crawling around on the ground. And it, if it wants to eat from a plant, it has to crawl up the stem of the plant and it begins to eat the leaves. And if it wants to get down, it falls down or it works its way down. So it spends a part of its life just crawling going from plant to plant, barely making it. And then there's this incredible process that takes place in this caterpillar's life. If a caterpillar could think, what do you think he thinks when, when he goes into this metamorphosis process <laughs> where all of a sudden one day he was crawling, the next day he's like, wing, wing. Where'd they come from? And then the, the wings began to form and they begin to have color. Can you imagine for the first time this caterpillar like, I've never had these before. What do I do with these? And so it goes to look. Well, let me take a look. Oh, that made wind. Oh, this tried this. And so he tries it together. Oh, I can fly. Now, when that caterpillar has experienced that, and he begins to fly, and he realizes, I like to plant on the edge of the garden. Do you think he gets back down and he begins to crawl? I'm going to go get that plant. No, you know what a ca caterpillar, after he turns into a butterfly, he flies. <laughs> With a big grin on his face, because he's not what he was before. He doesn't have to walk anymore on his own strength. Now he has wings and he is able to fly. Who in their right mind would choose to crawl when they know they can fly? Who in their right mind would choose to walk 
when they know they can soar? Who in the right mind would put on their Nike running shoes when they know they can pilot an F-10? We do all the time. And yet the living God has radically transformed us. And he wants us to soar. Oh, but Jim, I would rather crawl. Why? Why would we go back to that when this is available to us? And we do it all the time. We rely on our own strength. God's saying, the Holy Spirit said, hey, in case you didn't know, I got a pallet's license. Hey, in case you don't know, I got 50 caliber weapons here. <laughs> hey, in case you didn't know it, no one can defeat me. <laughs> and yet day after day, night after night, we live as though there's never been a transformation in our lives. What else does the Holy Spirit do for us? He gifts us. Turn to Exodus chapter 31. Look at Exodus chapter 31. Genesis, Exodus, look at chapter 31. He gifts us. Old Testament, we were in New Testament. Look at the Old Testament. By the way, let me just sidebar. There are many gift analyses that you can take to test your gifts Some are partial, some are more complete. And sometimes what gets lost in the gift analysis, they just sum it up to like six. There are many, many, many gifts that God has given. He's given the gift of leadership. He's given the gift of even being a musician. He's given the gift of being an artist. He's given the gift to construct. He's given the gift. There are a variety of gifts. And so as you take these analyses, these gifts inventory, realize there are so many more other gifts. Look at... Exodus chapter 31, look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Beziel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of who? God. With what? Wisdom and with what? And with what? And with all kinds of skills, gifts, or talents. What did he give them to him for? To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. So God gifts artists. God gifts people who create. God gifts people to build. Then he says to cut and set stones to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. God gives us the ability to build. The Spirit gifts us, in this case... He gifted people to construct. He gifts us to be musicians. He gifts us to be carpenters. He gifts us to to engineer. He gifts us to build businesses. God gifts people to do things. I firmly believe with all my life, he's gifted some with the ability to make money. He's gifted people to be businessmen and businesswomen. He's given them the skills Yet, if we don't tap into the Spirit and allow Him to work through us, we'll never be who we're supposed to be in those fields. He gifted them to be craftsmen. This verse, I think, these verses give us credence that He's gifted people for the marketplace. You potentially have been gifted for business. 
And we should be a notch above because we have the Holy Spirit as an unfair advantage. I believe this with all my heart. I don't see any reason why this couldn't be true other than we choose not for this to be true. I believe with all of my heart, if we lived to our redemptive potential and tapped into the Holy Spirit's power, that we would be heads and shoulders above people who haven't been converted yet. Because if we say that's not the case, and here's what we're saying, we're saying that humans have the power and ability that God has. You see, when we come to Christ, there's radical transformation. We should be the brightest people in the marketplace. We should be the most artistic. We should be the most... Whatever it is, we should be the best welders. We should be the best team. We should be, when, when employers look, if it was possible in our world today without them getting in trouble to say, are you a Christian or aren't you a Christian? And if you check the box Christian, it should be so evident that they would hire a Christian welder over a non-Christian welder, that they would hire a Christian photographer over a non-Christian photographer, that they would hire a Christian teacher and a Christian coach, because we should be heads and shoulders above that because a living God lives in us. Yet is that the case? Now, it doesn't dismiss what we're supposed to do to learn and to study You see, here's where we go south with that. We'll think, well, if I'm gifted by the Holy Spirit, then I'll just let him do all the work. No. There's this sense when we want to be the brightest and give God the glory, we give everything we can on our end to become the best. And we learn. And all those things as you age, the Holy Spirit allows you to retain those. And then he adds his supernatural ability to it. And then you shine in the marketplace for God and not yourself. I love this role of the Spirit because we don't have to be limited by our own abilities. He wants to supernaturally make us better than we are by ourselves. And he can gift us to do things that are way beyond our own ability. Also keep this in mind. God does the gifting. We don't get to choose our gifts. Like I hear people say, oh, I wish I had that gift. Oh, I wish I had the gift like him and her. Oh, I wish I had that gift. Let me tell you, don't you think a perfect God knows what gift is best for you? So just exercise that. Study in that field. Work at that field. And continue to ask the Spirit to make you better in that field. Because the God of the universe thought that gift was the best one for you. Then you better give all you can in that gift and exercise it and use it or you will lose it. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be a spectator. He doesn't say, oh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, I get to live in another house. I often say it this way. When someone crosses over and receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there's another house on planet Earth for the Holy Spirit to live in. But he just doesn't want to live there and say, hey. He wants you to tap into his power. He doesn't want to be a spectator. He wants to be on the front lines working through you. The Holy Spirit is the X factor. The Holy Spirit plus you is a majority in anything. Look what else he does. He reminds and teaches us. Look at John chapter 14, New Testament. John chapter 14. He teaches and reminds us. And as I age, I am very grateful that he reminds me and jogs my memory. Look at John chapter 14. He teaches and reminds us. John chapter 14 and verse 25. 
Jesus said this. All this I have spoken whilst still with you. But the what? Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will what you in all things? And will what you? Remind you of how much? Okay, how much is everything? How much? Everything. Doesn't say like he'll remind you in this area. Like you'll be really, really, really good here, but I'm not going to remind you here. He reminds you in everything. Move on. Look what it says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The word counselor here or advocate is the Greek word paraclete. It's important to to define this. The Holy Spirit is an advocate. The Holy Spirit is a counselor. He is the counselor. He can counsel you. He can give you instruction. He can teach you. He can guide you. He can comfort you. He can show you the way. He's hovering. He's looking ahead. He's looking around. He empowers you and he guides and comforts you. The word itself, paraclete, can be best described with thinking of two soldiers back to back standing One looking one way and the other looking the other way. The Holy Spirit has your back. He's the paraclete. He is able to counsel. He is able to comfort. He is able to protect. He shields the front and back of you. He's able to cover your back and every else one's back that is a follower of Christ. He is a counselor too, 24-7. In fact, he goes with you free of charge. He doesn't charge $40 for sessions. You ask the Holy Spirit for help, and he fires the synapses of your brain. He jogs your memory. He helps you to recall things that have been put in so that you can go retrieve them. You can pray, Lord, help me to remember. I always have this conversation with students. And so they they want to take a test, or my kids, or any kids in college. And they take tests, and they'll have this prayer request. Can you pray for me tomorrow? I'm taking that test. Can you pray that I do well on that test? And I always follow up, sure. I'll pray that God will help you to recall what you put in your head. Because if it isn't there, there's nothing to remind yourself of. So there's work on our behalf. We have to input it. And so what you're saying, Holy Spirit, help me to remember what was put in. Input Coming in, input coming out. So if you do your part, the Holy Spirit will allow you to recall those things. So if you've done your part, he allows you to recall the information that you've put in to your brain. I love that the Holy Spirit is willing to remind us of things. And on the spot to help us. I can't tell you how many times, and you would attest to this too, how many times in your life... I'll be standing and talking to someone. Some, a lot of people ask me questions. They say, Pastor Jim, what do you think about this? And I see them coming. Here comes a question. I see that look. They got a question. I get questions asked all the time. I'm fine with that, by the way. They come and ask questions. And so while this person is talking to me, you know what I'm doing? I'm talking to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me a good answer. Holy Spirit, help me to remember what I, you've taught me. Holy Spirit, 
Help me to know. Holy Spirit, help me to remember what I've read in your word. Holy Spirit, help me to remember these things that you've done in my life. And so while they're talking, I'm praying to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me the answer that's truth. Holy Spirit, help me to speak boldly. Holy Spirit, let not me back down. Holy Spirit, let me not be afraid. Holy Spirit, tell them the truth. And so when I respond... I can't tell you how many times someone has asked for a question or something has come up and I'm trying to give wisdom to this person. All of a sudden, God will remind me of something that I've heard, something I've read, something that I've studied, something that someone else has told me, something that God has done in my life. It's like, boy, I'm grateful. Because as you age like I do, one day you'll be here like me. It's like it's the bookshelf. And I keep bringing new information in and something keeps falling off on this end. Those of you who are 50 years old, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, and I have one of those memories. I have a, I'm partially a photographic memory. So if I see it, I remember it. It's like, there's a lot of photos that have fallen off. But the Holy Spirit goes and retrieves those memories, brings them back up in front of me, and I visually see it. I can't tell me times. It's a visual picture that he gives me. And it's like, bam. Listen to me, Grace, Christ followers. Go to the Holy Spirit. He wants to help you. And he also can teach you. Now think about this for a second when it comes. Why do, why do we go to a counselor? The reason we often go to a counselor is because we, have, we need help with the issues that we have. And the majority of the time we go because of an emotional issue. Let me, let me flesh this out. We go because we're frustrated. We go because there's tension. We go because there's, we're angry. We go because there's resentment or guilt or shame. And generally, these emotions are out of whack. So we go to a counselor and say, I don't like what happens to me when he says this. I don't like what happens when she gives me that look. I don't like the finger. And, and so what do I do with that? Because there's something inside of me that's coming out that's not healthy. And so a good counselor will go back. When did you first feel that feeling? When does it happen to you now? Can you remember a time? And so you go back and you you take God's word and you read through it. And so you go back and you try to address the root of the concern that's there. And so then you walk them through a recovery path to be overcomers. Because the emotions are out of whack. And maybe some of us have even done something harmful as a result of this. And maybe you're about to explode. So you go for counsel, which you should. So the counselor tries to see what the issue is that caused this emotional response and instruct us. Now, people often ask me this question, and I think it's a good question that you probably have asked too, and other people probably ask you, how do you know when you're walking in the Spirit? Like, Okay, Jim, if I'm supposed to walk in the Spirit and I'm supposed to be led by the Spirit, how do I know if I am? I think it's pretty clear. Because the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The majority of the response of the fruit of the Spirit that hangs from the tree are emotional responses. So, if you're impatient, guess what? You're not walking in the Spirit. If you don't have peace, you're not walking in the Spirit. If you're not kind, you're not walking in the Spirit. If you 
don't have self-control and you are overeating and you are overusing your words and you are gossiping and you don't have control in your life, you're not walking in the spirit. And if you have a fuse that's this short and something happens in your life and it's like they, someone says something that was indirectly not even happened to you prior before and you respond to that in anger, you're not walking in the spirit. The greatest test of whether we're walking in the spirit is our emotional response to things around us. So when you walked in here, were you pretty patient coming to grace today? Is there a rift between husbands and wives? Do you find yourselves like hardly anything said and you're fused? You're not walking in the spirit. That's the greatest test as to whether or not you are walking in the spirit. Those emotional responses that happen all day long. It's interesting that even self-control is at the end of that list. So here's what we do. Why does I have a propensity to like, you know, I'm an impatient person. I have a propensity to just worry. I have a propensity to overeat. I have a propensity to gossip. I was just like, that's me. And it's like, we somehow pacify. Listen, it's called sin. S-I-N. It's very clear from Scripture. When we're walking in the Spirit, we have these, this fruit hanging from our tree. But here's the problem with us. By the way, I'm right there with you. I mean, there's some days that I'm not walking in the Spirit. There are moments I'm not walking in the Spirit. And it's, there's times it's like, oh, jeez, Jim, there you go again. And there are moments, I'm telling you, this is possible. When that emotion wants to come out, it's like, I'm feeling impatient. It's like, move on. And, the, and so the Spirit says, <laughs> there you are again. And so I have to make a decision. Will I respond and be led by the Spirit who says, don't do that. It's not good, not good. I'm not going to deserve it. You probably never felt those expressions or feelings. And so if I'm sensitive to the Spirit when he convicts, I choose not to. And I just bite my tongue and I listen to the Spirit. And you know what? Things are a lot better when you do that. So the Holy Spirit teaches, the Holy Spirit instructs, the Holy Spirit's a counselor. The problem is this, though. We want the Holy Spirit's help, but we want to lead him and not be led by him. And here's how we go. Holy Spirit, can you help me do this project over here? Holy Spirit, can you do this for me? Holy Spirit, can you lead me down this path? Holy Spirit, can you, can you like add a blessing to this thing that I have? Holy Spirit, it's like we're okay if he comes along and, and, and wants to, to join in with what we're doing, but we don't like to be led by the Holy Spirit because it might mean we go somewhere that we don't want to go. When we're led by the Holy Spirit, then... We're not leading ourselves. He's leading us. Are you a follower or a leader of the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Now, let me just say this too. If you're finding that you're impatient, if you're finding that you're angry, if you're finding that you're not very kind, if you're finding that you haven't been very faithful, if you're finding that you don't have self-control, I suspect that you're probably not being led by the Holy Spirit. You're leading your own life. But here's the problem with us. We want to take control. We want to take control of our marriages. We want to take control of our our schools. We want to take control of our workplaces. We don't like being told what to do. It's like you put women and men in an environment where they're given instructions about what to do. The first thing they're raising, hey, can we do it this way? Hey, what about that way? Hey, I know a better way. 
Hey, don't tell me anyway. Because I want to do it my way. We don't like to be what we call, and then we say, well, this is such a controlling environment. It's like, we don't like to be controlled. There's not a, a man alive that likes to be told what to do. And if you are, I'd like you to raise your hand if that comes naturally to you. We're, our propensity is to control environments instead of being led in environments. And so what happens? We don't sign up. We don't join. We don't go over there. We don't fly over there. We don't be part of that because we don't like that way. And the reality is it might be the way that God wants to lead you, but you keep leading your own life. You see, God has given us a dynamic duo called the Holy Spirit and the Holy Bible. And we wonder sometimes why our lives are so messed up. Maybe it's because we are not reading the instructions and listening to the teacher. You know, I love this discussion. I would love to have just a really in-depth discussion about how the Holy Spirit teaches us. Because I think our first propensity is to go and find a book. Let's go read this book and learn. Let's go to this conference and learn. Let's, let's, let's go listen to this podcast and learn. Let's, let's go to these tapes that I've already looked at 20 times and let's learn. Let's read this magazine subscription and learn. Let's let other people teach us. By the way, they should, and you should. But is your first default system ever, Holy Spirit, will you teach me? In fact, I think you're a perfect God and a perfect teacher. And I think there's things that you can teach me that man has never found or doesn't know yet. How often do you go to the Holy Spirit as the teacher and say, teach me, Holy Spirit, teach me? Boy, if we did, we would see a different you and a different me. He teaches us. Holy Spirit can remind us of what we're supposed to do. He's the Holy Spirit, I would say, is our sixth sense. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great things which you do not know. These great and unsearchable things that you do not know. See, our first response is to go to Google and search for our answers. Let's go there and let's search. Jeremiah 33, 3 says this, Call unto me, and I'll show you great and unsearchable things that Google doesn't have. Yeah, how often do you go to, to the Holy Spirit and say, hey, teach me, hey, show me the new Google. He can teach us unsearchable things. He works overtime on our behalf. Look at Romans chapter 8. Look in the New Testament. Look what else the Holy Spirit does. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's this. It's this. He says, I got you covered when you're too broke to speak. How many times? And I've been there many times. Like, I don't even know how to pray anymore. It's like, God, I don't even know what to say. I'm so broken over this. It's like, God, this is like the thousandth time I've been here. It's like, God, I don't even know what to say or how to pray anymore. And know what the Holy Spirit promises if we go to him, Holy Spirit, would you pray for me? He intercedes with wordless groans on our behalf. He's the perfect God praying to the perfect Father. And when the perfect meets perfect, it's a better chance of imperfect meeting perfect. While you and I slept last night with our restless concerns, 
he was up interceding for us. You see, we're more dangerous than we choose to be or to believe. So, if all that is true, like, there should be like, put a a non-believer beside a believer. You should be able to look at him and say, different than that. Very different than that. Very, very, very different than that. Is that the case in our world? Do we rise heads and shoulders above in the marketplace, in the schools, in the coaching arenas, in our world? Or have somehow like the spirit doesn't live in us? Why don't we look any different? Here's why we don't look any different at times. It's because we quench the spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not quench the spirit. So here's what it is. We literally, quench means to put out, to put the fire out. It means to throw water on the fire, to snuff out the candle. It means that the spirit of God should be vibrant and alive in us. And somehow we snuff it out. We, we put water on the fire. It's like he's there, but we keep snuffing him out. It's like we don't even allow him to work in us or through us. And when we snuff out the spirit, we just finally just operate and look much like a non-believer who doesn't have the Spirit. And so then when you look at them, there's not much difference. And you know how you snuff out the Spirit? It's called sin. It's having this area in your life that you haven't fessed up to God and confessed and repented of. And if you don't repent of it, you'll never find freedom. And if you don't find freedom, you'll never be all that Christ wanted you to be. And if you're never all Christ wanted you to be, you'll never live up to your redemptive potential and you'll never make the difference that you're intended to be. And you'll never live your gift package out in a supernatural way. And when you stand before Jesus one day, you'll fall short of what you could have done for him if you just didn't quench the spirit. Have you ever been around someone who's just filled with the spirit? It's like you get near him and you walk away. It's like, it just felt like I just... I've been with, I've been, I've been empowered and loved. It's like, I want to, I want to grow in Christ. And it's like, you, you walk by him and, and like, she said something and she spoke and it's, or he said something. It's like, man, there's something different about them. They're filled with the spirit. They're being led by their spirit. They're walking in the spirit. You see, I don't want to waste my life and I don't want you to waste your life doing these frivolous things that have no eternal value. I want to be part of something that God is part of. I want to walk into new, fresh encounters with God where people say, I've never seen that before. I want to revisit some of the, what, I, what I've witnessed in the New Testament and say, man, you've been with Jesus. I want to be part of where God is moving in such a great way. I don't want to be planning out my life and my calendars with stuff that, that take hours and hours and hours of time and, and days and days and days. And I walk away and don't come away and say, wow, God was there. Why, do, why spend your life doing that? I like being part of places where God is evident at work and where people are sensitive to the Spirit and they're walking in the Spirit and He is leading them and they are following Him. Let me just tell you something. We are seeing that in unique ways at Grace Community Church. Are you? Are you part of these venues where that is taking place? I saw this this weekend in an unusual way in Western Maryland. 
on a Friday night in the pitch black. I am 51 years old, be 52 in January. I saw God move in men's hearts like I've never seen before, ever, ever. I saw the presence of God come into a group of men. I saw brokenness. I saw repentance. I saw forgiveness. I saw that was God. And we stood speechless around this movement of God. I want to be part of moments like that. This past week, I invite you by that way. One of the greatest movements at Grace Community Church right now is prayer encounter. It just is. I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit that. In fact, I want you to be aware of that. On Wednesday nights, adults at Grace Community gather to pray. And we meet up in a room up here. This past Wednesday night was one of those great moments where we keep it simple. We pray. Where people came hungry to meet God. Hungry to pray for you, hungry to see God work. And they gathered and the room was overflowing. We didn't have enough chairs. We had brought in fans and it was hot, but we didn't care and we didn't even want to leave, but we had to go pick up the kids. I want that all the time. On my way home, I was processing all this and I didn't want to leave the room. In fact, when I was in the room, I just started to weep. It's like, God is here. And I'm not a weird dude. Well, depends who you talk to. (laughs) And I registered what I was processing with my wife, who is a giant Christian, mature beyond her years, intercessor, loves Jesus Christ. I married way up. And she says, Jim, you know why? She said, because the people who are coming are hungry for Jesus Christ. And she said this, Jim, when the word of God is opened, she said, when the word was open and it was read that night and people come hungry to hear God's word, she said, when you put the word of God with people who are praying, God shows up. I just choose to want to be part of that. I believe you can be part of that too. Oh God, I pray that you would do what you're good at. Encourage our hearts, convict us. May we never be accused of spinning our wills with stuff that doesn't matter. Help us to take a hard look at our schedules and see what's filling our schedules. And God, I pray this. I pray that we would take time this week and say, when is the last time I was part of something and I said, wow, I've never seen that before. I pray, God, that we would be radiant, bright lights for you. I pray that we would walk boldly in our faith. And I pray, God, that regularly Grace Community Church would run from sin and that fathers would stand up and lead tenderly loving their wives and their kids. And God, I pray that that wives would be willing to be led. I pray for unity and harmony. 
pray against discord and strife and pray that jealousy would diminish and the whole control factor that would, us wanting control and we're not going to be part of something that we can't control. I pray that we'd just be willing to be sensitive to your leading and if you say go, we will go, God. I pray for a Holy Spirit revival at Grace Community Church like we've never seen before. And I pray that we wouldn't be spectators from a distance and that we would get secondhand information about it. But we would be on the front row witnessing it up front, up close, interceding and impacting those around us, encouraging and holding and lifting up. I pray, God, that we would see here at Grace Community things like we've never seen before so that you can get greater glory. I pray for selfishness to flee. I pray for pride to drop. I pray that humility will be high on our charts, God. I pray that we would love you like we've never loved you. I pray you give us an appetite for your word like we've never had before. I pray for addictions to be overcome. I pray that we would run from temptation. I pray that when people get within a mile of this place because the people of Christ have gathered, that the glory of God would be so heavy upon this place that people say, what's happening there? I pray that when people bump into us, that the spirit would ooze from our pores and people would fall on their knees and honor you, God, and lift you up. I pray that we would no longer try to run our own lives, God. And if that means this week we say no to some things, then so be it. God, may we be people who love, people of peace, people that are kind, people that are gentle and faithful, people who are filled with goodness and self-control. May we never see again us falling regularly in those areas. We invite you, God. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move to lead in ways like never before. And we thank you for that. I just want to say, God, I, I'm very, very grateful that you've given me this dear group of people that call Grace Community their home. I love these guys and gals with all of my heart. I pray, God, that we would form a band of brothers and sisters that charges hell boldly that the lost would be saved. Then you would get more glory. I pray, Jesus, too, that we wouldn't waste spinner wheels. And I pray that we would no longer walk, that we would fly like we've been intended to fly. We need you, God. We love you. And May your hand never be removed from Grace Community Church in any form, in any fashion. And may the legacy of this church and the testimony of Jesus Christ live way beyond my death, God. 
And may we see greater things because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.